You're listening to Leave Your Mark. In this episode, Darren Butler from the Irish Bishops Drugs Initiative is joined by Gwen McKenna of the Family Addiction Support Network, Dundalk. They talk about the work of the Family Addiction Support Network, how Gwen became involved after her own family experience of drug addiction, the very serious problem of intimidation that has crept into the drug-taking community, and the changing landscape of drug addiction in Ireland. Welcome to episode three of our Leave Your Mark podcast series. From my own experience of working with young people who are experimenting with drugs or in addiction, I know how important it is for families to feel supported. Many families go through the heartache of having a loved one in addiction, never feeling like there is help or support, and the families are often the silent victims of someone else's choices. For many, they don't know about or have access to a safe and confidential space to talk about the issues that affect family members who are in addiction. So Gwen, you're very welcome, and thank you for agreeing to join me on this episode the title of the podcast series is leave your mark and we have spoken to a number of people in previous episodes who have left their mark on their community and from seeing the work you and your team have done in the northeast and being privileged to work alongside you at times you have certainly left your mark on many communities if i could just ask you gwen could you tell me what the family addiction support network does hi darren Thanks a million for having us here and giving us that opportunity. The Family Addiction Support Network provides a safe, confidential, non-judgmental environment for families to come and speak about how they've been affected by addiction. So we provide um, a a range of services for families, um, a weekly family support group. They're peer-led family support groups. We have five in the uh, Northeast region. One, one in Casablaney, one in Cavan Town, one in Navan, one in Drogheda, and one in Dundalk. So um, it's very hard for families to come, come through the door and to come in and join these groups because of the stigma and everything else that's out there. But this is one of the, the services that we provide, and it's really good. Families feel at home when they come in there, and safety um, is with it as well. One of the other ones is the one-to-one support. So um, that's where family members can come in and talk with um, a person, usually for five sessions, with always with the hope of families joining the peer support group because that's where all the information, that's where all the support is, that's where it comes from. The, the next service we have would be counselling. So family members would be um, able to come and access counselling for themselves for six sessions but they have to be a part of the peer support group to be able to do that or, or linked in with us in some way or another. The five-step method, don't know if you've ever heard about that no. one or not. Yeah, well, the five-step method is where um, you come and work with a practitioner in five steps, and it's a very structured brief intervention for family members um, to see how you've been affected by um, addiction, the stresses and strains that you're under, the second step then would be about the um, relevant information that you need. Because if you don't have the proper knowledge, you get paralysed and you can't move. So this relevant information and support from the practitioner will help you to make a choice that you're able to do and move on. The third one is your coping skills. So uh, every family member has a way of coping. And there are three recognised broad ways of coping. One is the engaged coping, tolerant coping and the withdrawal coping. So it's looking at what your dominant one is and 
How, is it working for you? Is it not? So you explore that with the practitioner. The fourth one is um, my favourite. That's your social support network, who you have around you that can support you in this. And the fifth one then is about going over the four steps that you've been through. Have you made any changes? Is there anything that you would like to change? And is there any other services that you need? And always with the hope that that person's going to go on into the peer support group again. Okay, great. So that's the five-step method. Um, we have a confidential drug-related intimidation reporting service. So that will come up in a bit further in the podcast. Yeah, we'll talk about that, certainly. We also have um, what's called, we now have a wellness weekend that we run once a year um, for family members. So if they're able to come away for a weekend, we do a whole weekend of um, unity, bonding, workshops and just talking and just time out for themselves out of the environment that mm -hmm. they're living with so it's a great experience yeah. to go on yeah it's brilliant so we also provide an educational program and this is with senator francis black who developed this program and um, it's a 10-week program and the rise and uh, recovery in a safe environment so family members um attend a 10-week program and it's for three hours on the night and it's run now by Zoom at the moment. And um, it deals with boundaries, um, our coping skills, um, whose who's responsibility is it, you know, our choices, ourselves. It's all about ourselves. So that runs for 10 weeks and it's we've had great feedback from that. It's brilliant. And it was actually out of the, the RISE programme and that, that we discovered we needed counselling immediately because family members can be re-traumatised again going through it. That's not to put anybody off, but of it's it, the services are there to support you the whole way along yeah. if you have the courage to come through the door, just first yeah. of all, you know. So the other thing we have is a, um, a helpline um, for family members up until nine o'clock at night if um, families are in trouble we will answer the phones or get back to you. Okay. And that's... Yeah, that's that a lot. <laughs> and I think, you know, one of the one of the reasons that uh, we're doing the podcast today is to let people know, because I, I know yeah. for sure that there's a lot of people out there who don't know what's available and the work, yeah. especially that's done yeah. by the Family Addiction Support Group. So yeah. it's great to get that out. And it's funny, I was reading some of the literature from, uh, fr from the service. And when you said the word paralyzed there, yeah. Um, you know, it brought something together where, <clears throat> excuse me, where it said you can and will learn to take back control of your own life. Yeah. And, yeah. And, you know, and reclaim your family. Yeah. yeah. And, and the paralyzation that yeah. you mentioned there yeah. earlier. And it's only because of lack of knowledge. Yeah. You know, and, and like um, people would ask me and have been asked about tough love, you know, and tough love then to me is somebody saying, well, do I put the person out? Yeah. You know, that's in addiction. And no, you don't. Mm -hmm. And tough love, all love is tough. All love is tough. If you're in a relationship with yourself, first of all, and a relationship with another person, um, that relationship has to be about trust, respect, um, compromise, um, you know, all of these things. And uh, addiction behaviours won't allow that. So it's just learning a different way of coping with it. Yeah. So you can't do that without the knowledge. And that's what family support um, 
Well, that's what we try okay, to give. Yeah, yeah. it empowers families it? really. It really does. It does empower them. And um, it shows them that it's okay, that this is what's happening. This is the effects of it. This is what's happening to us. And um, looking at our family, because not everyone is the same. Do you yeah. know what I mean? But it's looking at us as people, who we are. And how do we cope with it? And what's right for us, but what's right for our families? And we will support you in that, whatever the decision is that you make. But you have to have the right information to be able to make the right choices. Yeah. And that's what we do. Great. That's it. Yeah, a wonderful service. Yeah. Um, and it probably leads me on to the, 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 the second question is, if yeah. your involvement, Gwen, how did you get involved? <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this. This is um, 26 years ago. Addiction came to my home. That, that wasn't something that I expected. It wasn't on our horizon at all, you know. And so the terror, first of all, I suppose, was the shame. The shame because um, of my judgments on other people, you know, people with addiction, people living with people that had addiction, all that kind of stuff. So when it came to my own home then, the shock was terrible. Um, and it threw me into a spin. What have I done? Did I not do this right? Uh, where, where, what's going to happen to my family members? Will they die? You know, because for me, drugs were a prescription that you got at the doctor and they're usually antibiotics. Yeah. That was my level of knowledge. But then the biggest thing was going to professionals for help. And they couldn't help me. And I didn't know what I wanted. I did know what I wanted. I wanted my family members not to use drugs, to get their life back again and to live a wonderful life, like the wonderful people that they are. But um, nobody could fix it for me. So it took years of madness and chaos <laughs> before I could realise no one can fix the other person. All I have is control over myself, which I hadn't at that time. But anyway, when we went to professionals or when I went to professionals looking for help and couldn't get it any place and the terror and the pain of that and the loneliness and what addiction does within the family, it separates and divides everybody. So it's a horrendously lonely place to be, you know. And um, each of the, the family members then, you know, when, when um, an episode had happened in the house and an episode would be a huge big row would start. And, um, well, I'm not afraid of conflict. You know, other family members are. Yeah. And, and they would run and run and hide in their other rooms, you know, and try to get away and everything. But um, my total focus was on my family members. And um, even when I'm saying it to you, I'm shuddering and I'm thinking to myself, oh, God, help them. You know, because I was full blast after them, they were my total focus, where they went, who they were with, what they were doing, how can we get help, go into treatment, do this, do that, if you do this, if you do that. But then it came to me about um, family support, me going for a week for treatment, I nearly died. <laughs> the person in addiction is meant to be the one who gets the treatment. Uh, yeah. Why would I go into treatment? I don't need treatment, all of this. But anyway, going back, I'm, I'm going from one to the other. Going back to how it started up was I met other family members who were in the same position. And we started talking and we realised there is no help out there. The people don't understand us. It's like we've landed in Mars and our community is up on Mars. It looks the very same. 
But they're all aliens. They can't hear me. They can't answer me. They can't talk to me. And it's a horrible, frustrating, lonely feeling. And to be a part of a community which was vibrant and then it's not and it's not there and you're trying to explain yourself and you're trying to seek help and it's not working. And um, so this group of people got together. We formed family support groups. We asked people that we knew to come and sit in a group and talk. And um, at the same time, the National Family Support Network was starting up in Dublin and um, we had linked in with them as well. So we formed a committee. We started in 2002. We formed a committee in 2005 to become the network because the one group in each area couldn't make a difference. But the five groups together, people had to listen to us. Somebody had to hear us someplace, you know. Yeah. And so we we um, started up the Family Support Network, the Family Addiction Support Network then. So it's been a hell of a journey. The reason we started up was because we didn't want families to be in the same position that we were in. And that the pain and the anguish of living with it, when there is a way of coping with mm-hmm. it, when you can um, reclaim your family and get back on track again, whether the person goes into recovery or not. But even still to be able to hold that um, relationship with the person if if they want it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I suppose so, have, have another like-minded people who are going through similar yeah. situations must have been a big support as well. It was hugely beneficial for me anyway, because... Um, like when I went to my wider family at home and said this, that and the other, and sure, we were a very close family and they were saying, oh, break his ass and pull him out, you know, and do this and all. And I was looking at them and I was thinking, don't speak about my family like that. How dare you speak, you know, and then it was causing a rift between us. But they were only trying to support me. They didn't know how to deal with it and more than I did. Yeah. So there was an awful lot of stress on you from different family members with different opinions and different ways. But look, when you're with people who are like-minded, as they say, oh my God, it's so good. It's like your second family. You know, you can share how you're feeling. It's all about us as well in the family support groups. It's not about the person with the addiction. It's about us and what we're doing and why we're doing it and what's that, you know, what effect it's having on us. And along with that, the information is great. I swear any consultant would give their right arm to have the information that's in a family support group Yeah, because um, you know where to go and the support to get, you know. Yeah. And just when you mentioned other members of the family, do all family, the family members take on different roles and different kind of react differently to somebody within within addiction in the family? You have, you have, like in my experience, um, you have a person who's quiet. I'm not, to a degree, but you have somebody who's very quiet and takes it all in and worries and worries and gets sick and gets depressed and can't make a decision or can't do anything at all. Then you have the other person who's high on adrenaline, trying to fix everything, who's causing chaos everywhere, you know. Then you have the younger kids who, they're not the focus of your attention anymore because you have the other family members who are caught up in the addiction. Your total focus is on them, so everybody else is forgotten about, you know. So then you have... The younger person who, the one I suppose that breaks my heart most of all is the quiet child. And that's the child that won't cause any hassle, that is, um, does everything perfect 
and won't tell you anything or won't say anything or won't claim their own lives. They won't get angry or anything until, and I found this, until they have a drink. And then it all erupts in the most inappropriate way and inappropriate place, you know. Yeah. But there's yeah. No, sense of, uh, no sense of self for this person, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Then the, the mascot, of course, <laughs> that's the person that acts out, that acts the clown, then to, to take the, the, what is it? To take the focus of the people with the addiction, you know. Yeah. So yeah. There's, all, there's all of those, the scapegoat, as they call it as well. So there's all of those roles that we take on that we haven't a clue about unless we learn about it, yeah, you know, unless yeah. that environment is provided for you. Yeah, and that's so, where family support comes in. And, and that's where family support comes in. But I suppose the biggest thing for me is not knowing the symptoms, not thinking that it would ever happen to the family, um, not knowing what to look for. Daytime became nighttime because the people in addiction then were up all night would stay in bed all day or mm-hmm. go out to their friends or whatever it was and hang around there. But life, it, it became chaotic. And what, what would have been absolutely um, abnormal for us in normal times, what would have been absolutely abnormal for us became, the abnormality became normal. And you forgot what it was like to live with no stress, to be able to come in and put your bag down to be able to go to bed and not be woken up in the middle of the night, you know, and get on with life and to be able to listen to the other kids and their achievements and what they're doing at school and all of the good stuff, you know. Yeah, um, it just consumes you. It comes, it consumes the whole family. It consumes totally. Yeah. yeah. And then the best part of all is you have to put a mask on you and answer the door to the postman or to the milkman or walk down the street and into the shop, you know. And yeah. Yeah. If you're trying to hide it, it's it's another pile of stress. Yeah, you become so an actress. You really, really do. You know, and as as um, people in addiction are fantastic. They're massive at manipulation. They're great. They should be on stage. They yeah, really should. Yeah. But absolutely shows social families. Yeah. family members yeah yeah it's amazing yeah. isn't it and it I suppose is. of course it then is. when when it, it when it is known in the community you go from that hiding it to the shame and the embarrassment and yeah. not everybody but yeah. I'm sure that's a big part for mm. for a lot of families well look at there's there's um seven stages that families go through when they're caught up with when they're living with the addiction behaviors yeah you know and the first one, I'm probably going to forget half of them now, but, and I know that the first one is the denial, you know, or maybe the ignorance in mine. Mm-hmm. It was the ignorance that I never thought would ever come to my door. Why? Yeah. I don't know. But anyway, yeah. um, there's that part of it, you know, and if it's not challenged or if there isn't a belief system in the home or if there is no awareness around it, it's allowed to develop and the stress it becomes, well, you don't have stress at that stage, but you're thinking to yourself, what the hell is going on? You know, different things like that. So, like, I'll just give you an instance. Um, finding lighters in the bedroom, a, a whole load of them. And you're saying to them, what the hell's going on here? I'm collecting these. These are going to be items, you know, later on. And I'm looking at them exactly like you shaking your head. Yeah. There's a collection. And of course you believe it, you know. Well, I did. Yeah. So yeah. I didn't think any more about it at all. And then the T-shirts, you know, and when you're washing them and you put them up on the line, the next thing, the air, the, you can see all the wee holes on them, you know, 
And you think, what the hell happened to that? I was helping so-and-so, we were welding, or we were grinding. Yeah. And yeah. you take it. You just yeah. take it because you don't know any different. You know course, what I mean? Of course, yeah. So the longer that goes on, the denial or the, the ignorance around it, you know, or not maybe not ignorance, it's, it's lack of awareness around it, you know, the more that goes on, eventually it's going to come to a stage where it's going to hit the fan and you're going to be facing it straight away, you know, and that's the second stage that, or the second step would be the um, coping alone because when it hits you, and then, as you're saying, the, the you know, the fear, the stigma, yeah. your own judgment and the whole lot like that. You try to cope with it on your own. You try to control them. You try to fix everything. You're jumping in there. You're trying to second guess ahead of them all the time. And then um, the stress of that is just, but you can be in that situation for a number of years. And the stress is horrendous. Can you imagine trying to control everybody else's life? And I think I'm, I'm doing my best to control my own. At yes, the moment, of course, yeah. But trying to take on everybody else's, you know. So the stress there is horrendous. So then the third one is what is um, desperately seeking help. And because there's no roadmap for addiction, like for instance, if you present to your GP, who is your middleman, and he, he, he or she finds a lump or something, and, you know, immediately you're hopped to Eccles Street, you have your mammogram, you're going on to the next person, the next person. So everything all around you is, there's a, a map yeah. and there's a care plan. And not only that, your family come in around you to support you and help you, and then your community, because mm -hmm. cancer care is great for you know, bringing people to lifts to, yes, to their stuff and all that, that's brilliant. But you see addiction? No, I hope. There is none of that roadmap at all. And while you might go to one professional and they're brilliant, it doesn't follow with the next one or it doesn't follow yeah. into the different places. So it's very hard to find your way through this, which adds more stress to you. It kills you with stress. Yeah. And again, then, you know, the, the, the family support at least gives some kind of a, a system or a roadmap in supporting it, that person. Because I think, does. as you said, if we can help ourselves first yeah. we, in any aspect of life, yeah. I think we yeah. have a better chance then. Of we helping. have, well, unless, unless we have the right, correct information, we cannot make a choice because we're all unique. We're all different. We've all different personalities. Thank God. That's what makes us all unique. Mm -hmm. But we have to have the right information to be able to make the right choice or to be able to move. And if you don't have that, you get paralyzed and then you stay stagnant and it becomes a bigger problem, yeah. you know. Yeah. But it's it's um, the seven stages are what the family goes through. And it's it's fantastic there. We have all of that information for our families if they need that, you know. Yeah. With the seventh stage then is the, the giving back. And that's what has developed our network so much because family members who came to family support loved what we were doing, got so much help themselves, became so empowered. They wanted to give back and they trained up as facilitators. They facilitate the peer support groups and they're all volunteers. We're all volunteers here in this and they're amazing. Yeah. So when you talk to them, you just know that they know what you're talking about. You yeah, know? which is which is yeah. great to have that peer support as well. Oh, it where is. It's somebody yeah. who's gone through yeah. exactly what you've gone yeah. through. Yeah. It, it kind of reminds me of the stages of grief. If you go through yeah. grief, 
and yeah. you don't get support at that time yeah. you look back and you can say oh yeah I remember that I remember yeah. being there I remember yeah. being there and yeah. it must be you know it must be yeah. amazing for people who've yeah. gone through the program to be able to say yeah I've yeah. Um, stage three stage four I, I yes, remember and, that and, yeah stage seven you know we, we would give this information to families when they come to us first you know because they know they're not in the room. Yeah. Isolation and loneliness is a horrendous place to be, you know, at the best of times. But in addiction, it's terrible. And the fear I had when COVID came in with families was to go back into isolation, which is very easy for them because they know how to do that. Yeah. Because they isolate themselves normally anyway, if they're living with addict- addictive behavior. But that's not a good place to be at all. Because of the loneliness, uh, of course, and, and yeah. the fear, and uh, everything, yeah. And COVID was obviously a very challenging time. It really was. It was because um, there's nothing like being in the presence of a person, and their story, and how their life is going, and the privilege it is to hear somebody's life story and how resilient they are, or how they cope, you know, or what's going on for them yeah. at the moment, you know. But um, COVID was horrendous because we couldn't meet with our family members, but we couldn't leave them. And so we had to do intensive training, and it was intensive, let me tell you, to do um, online and to to keep in contact by phone support and stuff like that, you know. Great, it was great to keep it going. It was great, and it was great family members, the same as ourselves, learning about it. You know, we've had great laughs. It's mad. But anyway, it was really good. Experience to look back on. It was, yeah, absolutely. And I I think that this will be the way forward now in future, you know, because people who can't come to the groups now because childcare, childminding, journeys, time off, working, COVID themselves, you know, um, that we were going to do the uh, online family support groups. Because we do online counselling, we do online um, five-step as well. Okay, Gwen, so just to finish um, that, that personal piece, um, you, got, you went through the family support and, and you, you got the help that you were needed. And yeah. I suppose just for people listening, you know, your family members, they also received the help they needed? Oh, yeah, absolutely, they did, you know. And uh, one thing that I can say about families that... Um, that seek support and seek um, to support each other, they become a much stronger family than they were before. So the fear, you know, of seeking support, if you could get that message out there, would be to to just push yourself forward and get the support because it's um, it's not scary. We're not scary. I don't think we're not scared. Certainly not. But um, but it's so hard. It's so hard to come out of the isolation. Yeah. But if you can bring yourself out of the isolation, it's like coming into the sunlight. And while it's painful to talk about um, different aspects of it, the joy of after and getting your life back is amazing. Okay, you know, it's a lovely way to describe it. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Okay, Gwen. Um, I suppose intimidation is a serious problem that has creeped into the drug taking community here in Dublin with many young people and their families being affected. Mm. Uh, it's certainly something when I worked with young people wasn't 
uh, an issue, but certainly now it seems to be becoming a, a big problem for, for a lot of people on top of uh, everything else that addiction can bring. So could you tell me a little bit about the intimidation that is happening and yeah. the help and support that might be available around that as well? Yeah, absolutely. Well, just to say that again, like 25 years ago was a different ball game altogether when our family was involved in this because there wasn't the organised crime that there is today. But it's in every little village, town in Ireland, this intimidation because of the organised crime, you know. And like, and um, people who use drugs and their family members can be intimidated by drug dealers to repay drug debts. And that's really scary, you know, because um, I really believe young people don't realise what they're getting into when they start this, you know, because it's so simple how you get pulled into it. And... Families and communities, I don't believe, are really aware of what's going on out there, you know, of how their kids are being pulled into it, you know, and the money that's been made. But most of all, the decimation to our communities because of this um, intimidation that's going on, you know. So, like, for instance, we've had two grandmothers who have been asked to pay for their sons and grandsons' um, debts by... Um, sexual favours, you know, paying it off like that. Um, a grandmother who's had to pay out her life savings and travel to Dublin. And the the drug dealer was behind bars in Mountjoy. And um, we've had families like, for instance, three farms there in Cavan and Monaghan, parts of the farms have had to be paid to pay off the drug debts as well. So it's a horrendous place. One family member um, hadn't a clue. She knew that her son was using hash, but everybody's doing it. This was her thoughts on it until she opened the door one night and this lovely looking young man was standing there and he handed her a bullet. And he says, that's for your son. And she nearly died with the fright. She couldn't believe it, that somebody standing there, it was like... Alfred Hitchcock, I think. Yeah. But the shock that she went into and the fear and the fear for the young fella as well, that he was in this far now. And um, they had to pay that debt as well. And it was horrendous. And, you know, other family members had to become involved because they had to borrow the money off them and it had to be delivered as well. Yeah. So the fear in that is horrendous, you know. Yeah. And I know, unfortunately, there's, yeah. a, there's a cycle that you can go on then, a, a never ending roundabout because the yeah. debt gets paid yeah. and then the young person gets sucked in again yeah. with free drugs yeah. or you can pay yeah. us later yeah. and we're back again. Yeah, it's a never ending cycle. You can't be guaranteed that the person is not going to do it again. The other thing that we found is that if you give the person with the addiction the money to pay off the debt, they'll temptation is just too much for them and they're likely to pay only half the debt yeah. and get the rest with drugs you know and this is how drug dealers manage to keep um people into it and especially young people yeah. you know yeah. and to keep them keep them into it in that way mm. so i suppose uh, um, when you're talking to me about the intimidation reporting program is um we're very, very lucky that in Ireland, the National Family Support Network, when they were there, had started off this as part of the drug strategy of developing a way of working with this. And we would have designated Garda inspectors that deal with this. So um, we're really blessed 
that any of the Garda inspectors that we've been dealing with now have been great. And so what happens is a family member, if they disclose to us that they're being intimidated um, by drug dealers, then um, there's a whole process that goes on to keep everybody safe and a, a process, a way of working, you know. Mm-hmm. And so what we would do is take the family member, if they disclose within the group, we stop the talk immediately and take them out of the group and we will say to them, we have this service. And so it's so good to be able to talk to somebody in authority, like the Garda inspector. And there's two ways of doing it. There's an informal meeting and there's a formal meeting. And the informal meeting is usually the ones that people go with because you can tell the Garda everything that's going on for you. He will explain to you about your safety, about what to do and how to do it, you know. Yeah. And even though we can't fix it, um, to, to be able to actually say, this is what's happening to me, allows you the stress to allow you to breathe again mm-hmm. and to be able to look at what's happening instead of reacting, to be able to look at what's happening. And you have to make the choice um, based on... Um, where you are at that time you know if you're not going to pay it can you live with the results if god forbid anything happens and if you do pay it um you're going to come to that stage at some stage because they'll bleed you dry you know what i mean so at some stage you have to make the decision but you need support you definitely need support and you need support from people who understand what you're going through and how you're going through it and and that's the beauty of a community is all of the services around you, you know, because not just one service will be able to deal with this. It takes the agencies all around that can do it. Yeah. OK. Yeah. And of course, then I, I know myself, I've heard an in, in instance where you would maybe have a young person with a debt and they would then bring them into the network of crime in order yeah. to pay their debt where they could end up uh, dealing drugs themselves yeah. or, or more, you know, with, with everything that's going but on today. The fear, uh, the absolute fear that the young person is in, they're, they've had to store drugs, they've had to store guns, you know, they've had to do armed holdups and everything because of the, the drug debt that they owe. You know, and and half the times the parents don't even know that the drugs are stored in their home. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So that's how that's how bad it is. But you never seem to hear that part or see that part. Yeah, and I'm sure that's, that's a lonely yeah. space to be in for a parent or grandparent to be on the it's, receiving end of a yeah. bullet or yeah. a, a warning. Yeah. And it's great well, to think that there is a support again. And there is somebody sure. and it's confidential yeah. and it is. Yeah. people can decide yeah. what w- yeah. way they're going to go after they have that conversation. Absolutely, they can, you know, and it's it's about looking at what is actually happening, what's out there. Again, it's knowledge and information. Do you know what I mean? And support, like you, you support that person. There is no judgment on them, no criticism. We do the very best that we can with what we have at that time. And yeah. that's it, you know. Great. And just to say that at the end of the podcast, there will be yeah. information on that for where people can contact the network and different yeah. supports that you yourselves yeah. here can provide us. So we yeah. make sure that's available to people. Um, I suppose we've heard how long you've been involved for many years with the family support and the landscape of addiction has certainly changed over the years, as you said yourself. Um, f- just from your experience and, and meeting people, 
what type of addictions are people presenting with today? What, what's the challenges? Mm. I mean, there's so much more compared to what we even spoke about 25 years uh, ago on that. Well, 25 years ago, well, in the 90s, um, it was a heroin black spots around Ireland, you know, and that, that was it, you know, Dublin, um, Cavan, all, all around. And that's the drug that you were mainly dealing with. And then it became the cannabis and then it's cocaine and crack cocaine, the synthetic um, drugs that came out that time, um, the head shops, all of that. And now it's um, a sex addiction has come up, a gaming addiction, um, gambling, big time. You know, so there's, that's the whole broad range. But that's what it's grown now in yeah, in yeah. my estimation, in twenty five, I'm sure there's an awful lot more out there, but that's that's my yeah. what I've seen. And, know, and it's amazing to think some of the ones you mentioned there are ones where I'm sure people are shaking their head and, and yeah. can't imagine, yeah. uh, you know, addicting to gaming or yeah. you know, uh, sex or gambling or that. It's just it, you know, because again, gambling is legal, like yeah. the alcohol, yeah. and we just take it for granted. Absolutely, and yeah, and because it is legal, that you know, is it right? But look at, what is it, four people a day in Ireland die from alcohol-related um, injuries or whatever yeah. Yeah, you call it. You know, it's alcohol-related anyway. And it's a legal drug. So, um, and what it costs us as, as a country as well in trying to, to help people that are in that, you know, in that situation. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it is horrendous, yeah. yeah. So you would have a, cross, a full range of different... Yeah, absolutely would. Yeah, right across. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we would have heard everything and anything. Yep. Okay. Advice. If I ask you, what advice could you give to parents whose family member is struggling with an addiction and are hearing this information for the first time? Yeah, I would say to them, please go to family support, whether it's family support in the northeast, Cavan, Loud, or Mead. But no matter where you are in Ireland, find family support, learn about addiction, go on to drugs.ie, just get support for yourself. Don't keep looking at the person in addiction. You have no control over anybody else, mm-hmm. only yourself. And you can't make a move until you explore what's in you and what's happening with you. So I'd say please, rather sooner rather than later, um, step out of that place, step out of your comfort zone and come. People, you know, well, in our network anyway, we've been through it all. Um, it's great to talk with somebody who understands where you're coming from. Yeah, yeah. And you, you're not made to do anything. You don't have to do anything at all. The only thing we would say to you is talk with us. That's it. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, moving on to, I, I know it's family orientated, but there would be so many young people in addiction where we would have families coming to you for support and that. And I'm just thinking of my own experience, um, even with all the media, the education, the awareness that's out there. Yeah. Uh, when I'm in schools talking to young people, I'm often met with young people challenging me on facts about drug and alcohol. Um, and just, you know, what, what would you say to a group of young people who are considering experimenting with drugs? And actually thinks the likes of cannabis is a safe drug. Yeah, um, it's mad because you don't see the harm that it causes to you. It's very slow. It's very sneaky. You know, it's like um, 
it's a bit like cigarettes, I suppose. You know, you start off for whatever reason you take it with whatever friend you're with. And how do you know when you're addicted, when you can't do without it, you know? But cannabis is not a safe drug any more than cigarettes are, but cannabis is definitely not. Because we've we've held on to fam, family members who've had to bring their young people into the psychiatric department because of the cannabis, because of the effects of it on them, you know. And definitely it'll do away with your motivation. Whatever dreams you have, you won't be able to follow them through because of the cannabis. But it's not a safe drug. But I would say to them, again, there's no point in me telling them that. I'm just saying this to them. But please go and do your research around it. Look for the proper information and go on drugs.ie or ask Frank. I'm sure there are no new numerous other places now as well out there. But and they're so good on Google and information and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Absolutely research it for okay. yourselves and see. Yeah, great advice. Um and just around the network here, um, Gwen, unfortunately the future funding at the moment, it's not clear for the Family Addiction Support Network um, and hopefully that can be sorted out because um, we can hear how much of a loss of it would be to the family. So just briefly, can you tell me where that is at the moment? Well, we still haven't gotten core funding, so which is very disappointing because um, we're working really, really hard to um, be a professional group. We are a professional mm. group, very confident professional facilitators who are the backbone of our organisation, and they're all voluntary. They're amazing. But the funding hasn't come true for whatever reason it is, you know. But we need um, we need core funding, which to, is um, funded um, workers to be able to work here, because otherwise our 25 years of work is lost. It's going to be gone. And... Um, but one thing happened last year, our doors very near closed and we put out a plea to the public and my God, did they respond. Only for them, we would be closed and it was just amazing. Um, yeah, it's, I, I'm thinking of the faces of the people now when I'm talking to you, Darren, and the communities um, all of the place. I don't want to say one group in particular because then we've had so many yeah. people and so many people have had um, not much to give, but they give it with a heart and a half. And that was just brilliant in that it gave us the heart to keep going. And it also gave us the funding to keep going as well for this year. So, yeah, um, yeah it was communities doing it for themselves. Yeah. And they really did. Yeah, it is. It's amazing what people, when they come together and join up as a community, what they can achieve. Yeah. Like with us, with the network, against all odds, with our funding is only like that amount, you know, yeah. 7508 that we get. And only for people all around us, we wouldn't be able to keep going. Coming you together, know? Yeah. Yeah, I suppose so they've seen in their own communities the work that you've done and the support that yeah. it's their way of paying back. Yeah. in many ways and, and I'm sure if anyone's listening who would be in a position to fund or sponsor a program here you'd be very happy to oh, chat would, to them it would be absolutely fantastic it'd be brilliant yeah yeah and I know that's some, keep, sometimes how things work for yeah. you yeah well that's what's kept us going all the years different people come to you in different yeah. guises and they're just amazing yeah you know like I say even the facilitators it's just amazing the people that we have 
that's going at the board of management, of course, the whole lot. Yeah. But we had to become a limited company to attract funding, which okay. we didn't yet. Yeah, but it's <laughs> but a big team effort. It's a huge team effort. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. it is. It's great. Great. Yeah, yeah. no, you can see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, Graham, we're down to our final question. Um, <laughs> and I've asked this question in our previous podcast. If you could dare to dream, what would be your wish? I have three, I think, three wishes that would be. Okay. And um, the biggest wish, I suppose, would be the the funding for um, workers, paid workers to do the work that's happening here, you know. Because um, if there isn't paid workers, we've lost the work. It's gone. Because we're not going to last forever, that's for sure. And... um, so all of that work has gone and the voice of the families in the northeast that are living with addiction that's gone it's lost as well so that would be the biggest thing would be to get core funding that would be a, a massive wish um the second wish um would be to have a center of excellence for families where they could go for a residential where they could be looked after and minded um much the same as the person in treatment yeah, that we yeah. Beg them to go to, you know, yes, I'd love to be yes. able to hand out to families. Time out. Yeah, for sure. And to be able to look at themselves, to not have to be worrying where are these hearts happening, where they're gone or anything. I often say to families, I'd love to take you hostage and just bring you in. They'd say, please do, <laughs> feel free. <laughs> but anyway. yeah. So that would be the other thing. And the, the, the third thing I suppose would be, well, there's four things. The third thing would be, In the 25 years that I've been doing this work, I can see plainly now that we need a senior minister sitting at the drugs cabinet with a budget to deliver this, um, the drug strategy, which is a brilliant strategy, but it needs a senior minister with a budget to be able to deliver this. So, and what was the fourth one? forgotten it now that's no problem that's no problem well unfortunately (laughs) we won't be we can't grant any of those wishes but uh certainly uh you know just to thank you graham for your uh first of all for your personal story and for giving us uh such a great idea of the great work here that the family addiction support network do i've no doubt that any parent listening to the podcast will feel there's hope at a time when there seems to be no light at the end of a very dark tunnel uh we certainly wish you and the family addiction support group the best going forward and again contact details will be available at the end of the recording for anyone who would like to contact the center here in dundalk thank you for listening and if you found the podcast interesting please tell others and subscribe to hear future episodes if you've been affected by any of the issues raised in this episode, please see the links in the description to find out how you can get in touch with the Family Addiction Support Network or the Irish Bishops Drugs Initiative. This episode was presented by Darren Butler of IBDI. It was produced by Darren Butler, Lisa Murray and Mark Byrne. The sound engineer was Mark Byrne. Mark Byrne.